Hey guys, and welcome to What Was Her Name? The show where I will uncover the stories of domestic abuse survivors. I'm your host, Maya Hoover. Hey guys, and welcome to What Was Her Name? Um, My name is Maya Hoover, and I'm the host of What Was Her Name? Um, I am a little bit under the weather today. Uh, I do have COVID, which is so fun, and uh, I just am in this space uh, needing to record this episode, but also really eager to record this episode, and just bear with me um, through this this time, but I am really honored to be in this space um, with this particular guest. We've been kind of just in social media, back and forth, um, communicating here and there, and so it's really, really neat to be able to now have a phone call and everybody's listening, um, which is so random, but um, it's a podcast. And I'm just really excited to hear your story, honestly, and um, have it be held in this space. So um, I just want to thank you for for joining me today. And I know the bravery that it takes to be able to, I guess, just talk about your story and think back on painful memories. That's hard stuff. Um, But it's also really freeing as well, because you're obviously in a different space now and your story will help other people um, connect and relate in different ways. And so I'm really excited to see how that happens. Um, So thank you for being here today. Thanks for having me, Maya. Yeah, of course. Um, Prior to this, we were actually talking about, just before we started recording, um, we were talking about how you've been in this space for about a year, and it originally, it started with church hurt, right? Or Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting, like, just how we find people um, online, and nobody would really think to talk about church hurt, I feel like, like, on social media, I feel like. Originally, social media started as this like highlight platform where you post your highlights and how great your life is. And then at some point, like, I feel like we all kind of just got sick and tired of highlights because it was making us all like depressed because we're like, are you really that happy? Because I'm not. (laughs) And, and then people were like, I want to be vulnerable. What about being raw? What about being real? And then we started talking about really hard things like mental health or domestic violence, um, suicide awareness and it's cool to see how talking about topics like that can connect us and then now here we are talking about domestic abuse um advocacy and so I don't know I just loved that you shared that because I would have never thought that I didn't know you know what connected you to me in this space um so definitely really interesting but um to get to your story, um, the first question I always want to ask is, um, you know, how did you guys meet and just really get a feel for how it started your relationship? Okay, so um, actually about the meeting you, there was a part that I missed that I didn't like tell you the full story that yeah. I think that I just really want to share because it's like it's not it's just not a coincidence and I kind of just want to put that out there that um Mm -hmm. I don't believe in coincidences um 
So I actually took a trip to uh, the Magnolia silos uh, last October Uh and um, I bought like three things there. And the one thing was a lavender salve and um, it was from the same farm that you work on, which I didn't, (laughs) I didn't find out obviously until after I started following you. Yeah. And then the other thing is that, um, which I'll probably get into a little bit, <laughs> is that my Nana, um, she, she's who raised me, and she um, went to uh, the Hot Air Balloon Festival in Albuquerque mm-hmm. um, before she passed away, mm-hmm. and she got me a souvenir shirt from there that had all the hot air balloons on it, and it was always like a dream of mine to go there and see that uh, hot air balloon festival before I died to like feel more connected to her and I saw that in October like that's where you were so um yeah that was just like a really cool like thing that I didn't even follow you until December of last year and like I had gotten that lavender salve that I still have some of a little bit and um yeah, and the Hot Air Balloon Festival. I just thought that was so cool. Wow. <laughs> I think I remember you talking about the lavender salt. You had messaged me. <laughs> That's so crazy. Um, well, if you ever need a place to stay and want to go next year in October, I mean, hey, I'm here. I live here and I can, um, we can go together. You can, you know, I can be here for that. So you have a place here in New Mexico, which That's I mean, amazing. Thank you. <laughs> It lives in New Mexico. Like it's like such a random state. So <laughs> it's a place to stay. here I am. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it seems like there's like really fun stuff to do there. So yeah, for sure. It's definitely like it. <laughs> um, wow. So cool. Yeah. I love those, those intricate, those intricate, like coincidences, not so coincidental. Um, for yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, I love that. Thanks for sharing that. <laughs> it's definitely yeah definitely feel like like these paths crossed for a reason so um I'm grateful for that and just grateful that you were able to even just have those little like moments of connection I think as well um and I'm really like excited to get into your story and just kind of hear what you've been through and what has led you you know to this point and more of just like yeah your experience Um, so I'd love to just circle back and, um, just touch base on, you know, how originally that relationship started, how you guys met and also how old you were at that time. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I met him, uh, he knew who I was when I was actually a pregnant teenager. So at that time I was 14, um, So I met him at um, the church that my family went to, mainly just my mom. Um, And then his family was like pretty involved in the church. Um, He had a pretty big family. Um, So I think, yeah, I met him when I was 14. um, But I didn't start like actually talking to him or like becoming friends with him until I guess I was 15. And then... Um, you know, he didn't have like the best reputation in the church. Um, he was kind of like 
a bad boy, I guess you would say. And I think that that was, uh, I don't want to say it's something that I liked, but I think I almost was like more intrigued by that type because of my father. Um, so yeah, um, he didn't have the best reputation, but still like his family was very involved in the church and he was being like mentored by, um, like the school principal, um, of the, of the school at the church. Um, so, you know, he seemed like he was like trying to get on a good path, I guess, but also we were so young that like, you know, we were teenagers. He was two years older than me. Um, but yeah, so we kind of just had like a friendship um, for a little bit. And then we started dating when I was in like 10th grade. So I guess I was like 16 or 17 at the time. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, and then we ended up getting married um, when I was like one year out of high school. So 19, I was 19 and he was 21. Okay. Yeah. So started pretty young and then you ended up just consistently talking and then ended up getting married at 19. Yeah. And I think I felt, I wouldn't say I felt pressure to get married at 19. I think I was just forced to grow up at such a young age just because of like my childhood and, um, you know, just being a pregnant teenager and, um, you know, I, that's a whole separate story, but, um, yeah, I just, I didn't have like, I didn't really have guidance, like proper guidance. Um, if you're open, I I know that we've come here in this space to talk about your relationship. I think I remember putting a poll on Instagram and asking about, uh, familial dynamics or something about support systems set in place remind me if I'm correct and we talked about this briefly like kind of yeah um and I do remember when you did that yeah yeah and obviously you're not prepared to talk about that so no pressure to but this is something that in this space I've had a lot of people who have interviewed or like sent an application um with familial abuse and I've always denied those applications because this space has been thus far romantic abuse and I just haven't delved into um, familial abuse. But the more that we continue to go down this rabbit hole of domestic abuse, I think more the curiosity comes of like the way that we were raised and how when we have unhealthy familial dynamics, the the odds of us ending up in an abusive relationship are quite high because often we're repeating what's been shown to us. And even the lack of maybe like support that we have in our own lives, I think can often make us feel like we need to, and I'm not speaking for you, just like myself and then others I've noticed um, who've had difficult upbringings where they've had to grow up really quickly as a child is like, we haven't necessarily been taught like to stand on our own two feet, like we've had, we've been forced to stand on our own two feet, but we haven't been necessarily taught how to. And so in that, when we get that independence, as in like, there's no choice, we're 18, we are independent. We end up getting married quite quickly. I got married quite quickly as well. 
And that felt safe to me because I had not grown up with that familial dynamic of both a mother and a father and that stability. And I, I yearned for that. I like wanted that. And so that seemed like kind of this dream scenario, except I wasn't prepared for everything that was to come with that, which was domestic abuse um, because I was young and like a sponge absorbing everything that was being taught to me. And I don't know if you can resonate at all with what I'm saying, but I just think like, even just if it's just a brief kind of little synopsis of your upbringing would be helpful for your story, but you can say no as well, of course. Yeah, no, I agree. I definitely resonate with everything you're saying. And I'm, I've kind of dedicated like the last couple years of my life, like since 2020 to really, um, you know, focus on healing um generational trauma and um just ending those cycles uh which is also a really hard thing to do um but yeah um the the short version is that my father is an addict and has been since he was about 15 years old um and uh so my mother was sick when i was little she had crohn's disease which somehow managed to go away um I don't remember like all the details, but she did have Crohn's disease. Um, so she was unable to take care of me as well. And I also have four sisters, but um, yeah, I was raised by my grandparents and um, my Nana, um, she had ovarian cancer and I kind of was just watching um, that story unfold for seven years um just her trying to you know stay alive and be here and take care of me because there really wasn't anyone else um and uh she ended up passing away when I was nine um and that was like a big trauma um that I was not equipped to deal with at that age and you know um when death happens uh in the family it can be really hard for um adults to navigate how to go through that with a child so um my grandfather ended up just kind of working all the time and he moved my dad in after my nana passed away and um that was just a very very bad situation um you know living with an addict is really difficult um and yeah, I, I don't even remember what I ate during those years or how I survived um, pretty much from the time I was nine to 14. Um, and then I got pregnant and um, that's when my dad uh, physically abused me. And then um, I ended up moving out and moving in with my mom. And, um, you know, my mom was a pregnant teenager as well. So again, with like the generational trauma and trying to really break the cycle. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I ended up putting my daughter up for adoption, um, as a 14 year old. So, um, that was definitely another, um, big, I would, I would say a big trauma that happened in my life. Um, and I was, a child for all of it really in my in my view now because I'm 27 so I look back and I'm like you know I was a kid um so yeah it definitely affected you know my my choices in life because I was kind of just 
living in survival mode ever since I was born, I would say. Um, yeah. Wow. You know, <clears throat> when you had originally comment or you responded to that DM, <clears throat> I remember feeling like we had very similar intricacies and even just thinking about, you know, the not so coincidental, like balloon fiesta and then the Los Poblanos products that you had found. It's really interesting hearing this aspect to your story because like I can very, very, very closely relate to a lot of the things that you're saying. Also like both parents, both of my parents like were actually addicts and then lived with my grandmother who raised me my entire life and had cancer when she was little, when I was little, sorry. And she was obviously raising me. Um, and also just grew up a little bit more with like, I I would say like emotional abuse and psychological abuse, but, um, you said a couple of things here that I wanted to know. Um, you had big traumas, you had obviously living with an addict, that was a huge trauma for you um, because you were in survival mode and then having to experience that death of your grandmother. And then on top of that, giving up your child for adoption at 14. I mean, big, big traumas at such a young age. Um, And you truly were like living in survival mode. And I can really deeply resonate with this because I feel like I lived in survival mode most of my my childhood. And I feel like in some ways I didn't even get a childhood because I was too busy surviving it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it deeply intertwines with now where I'm at post-abuse because, and I, I don't know if you feel like this, but the more that you learn about and you heal from abuse, the more that I even see some of my own upbringing or ways in which my parents truthfully failed me. And I'm like seeing some of these behaviors intertwine together. And I'm learning a lot about my own upbringing and how that impacted, honestly, my decisions and my inability to walk away from it because I was surviving a lot of the time that nobody was really pouring into me and supporting me. Um, I don't know if you can resonate with that at all, but yeah, I would say I feel exactly the same way. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, obviously we're in a recorded session right now, but I'm like eager to just talk more about that in a later time with you. Um, Cause I think those just really intricately connect when you're talking. I'm like, wow. Like those are like some very similar situations, (laughs) Um, like super similar. Yeah. Um, And my mom was also sick too. Um, So interesting. Very interesting. Um, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I I would just say like, I think that also being like trauma informed now, um, like as part of my job um, and that has just helped me so much, like to put puzzle pieces together and um it's just all like linked back to trauma and like what it does to our bodies so yeah I love talking about it I could talk about it forever (laughs) yeah 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 I know I'm like a nerd about this stuff at this point (laughs) like I feel like someone say familial trauma 
and tied to abuse. I'm like, oh, let's get into it. Or someone's like, oh yeah, church abuse. I'm like, I'm here for it. Like, I'm like, dissected, like such a nerd. Um, <laughs> but okay. So I think the point that I wanted to make in just understanding the beginning of your life story is that I think there are many of us listening here in this space today who have experienced familial trauma. And of course, not everybody. And if you, you're you blessed enough to not, then that's amazing. But unfortunately, more than not, people go through really hard things um, at really young ages and are forced to grow up really fast. Um, and I think that it would be silly to not acknowledge that our upbringing has not in some way impacted either our inability to you know, believe that there's better for us other than what's of abuse or has caused us to maybe repeat certain cycles um, because maybe we don't realize or it takes time to realize like we are more than those generational patterns and like we don't have to repeat that and we can break it. And like what we're doing in this space is we're breaking those patterns. Like I see so many women day to day here in this space who are breaking these generational cycles. And that is so, so hard. And at times feels like nearly impossible, to be honest, like it's going to break us before we break it. Um, But it's also really beautiful because like we're doing what like our parents didn't do. Like you, Kelly, are doing what like your parents unfortunately couldn't do for you. And your grandma did her best to I think she she took that step and then passed that torch to you. And now you're taking that step and you're like walking in what your grandmother chose to do for you. And that's beautiful and also really hard. And so I would see this honestly and even coming in this space as you taking another step within holding that torch because you are aware of what has happened in your life of abuse while also like being brave to leave it here in this space and say like, this is my story and like, I'm leaving it in this space and I'm going to like really leave it here for other women moving forward who can hear this and resonate and relate. And I think there's going to be a lot of people who are going to circle back to this episode because of this particular piece and are going to be like, whoa, I also had a familial, you know, abandonment or, um, you know, having to grow up really fast or had a, a parent who is an addict and like kind of ask themselves, like, how did that impact me in my decisions? Or how did that impact me in my inability to remove myself from a toxic relationship? Because I didn't believe in more than that. Or I, I was just so scared to leave because I had no support, no, no familial, no financial, no nothing. And so it's like, how do we reshape that in our lives to make sure that that doesn't happen again, but also in our own children's lives, make sure that that they don't do that. And so I think it's a really beautiful topic and I think it's going to touch a lot of people here in this space. Yeah, I agree. Thank you for saying all that. Yeah, of course. Okay. So let's circle back. How did you guys, (laughs) (laughs) wait, no, you did, you met in church and he was rebellious and you got pregnant at a young age. Um, so I'm curious, like, how long the relationship was, approximately? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, okay, so we started dating 
in 2013. And then we got married in 2016. And then I filed for divorce in 2021. But I mean, I knew it was over by 2019. So married, I don't know. It's hard. I now like that I don't, it's funny that I don't even remember. It was a long time. (laughs) It was like almost a decade. I don't know. Okay. Would that be 2013 to 2020? To 2020. That's a long time. I have yeah. Math is not math in this morning. So I'm like, <laughs> no, I'm not math. good with math either. <laughs> I'm like, I'll let you answer that. My brain, I, I'm gonna blame it on you. <laughs> um. Okay, so you guys were together for a long time. Um. Can you describe to me how the relationship was in the beginning? I know you said he is he was rebellious, but just as far as how he treated you and that kind of the way you saw him, how was he in that beginning stage? Um, so when I first, first met him, I actually wasn't like physically attracted to him. Mm. Um, it was interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, but I just thought that he was like cool and like that he was adventurous and like that you couldn't really read him. Like he was someone that you couldn't like figure out, um, which I don't know why I liked that. Again, I like, I kind of circle back to like looking for people who are kind of like my father but like in only in certain ways Hmm. um interesting wait yeah say that again I I feel like I just would always look for people who were like my dad but I wouldn't say like in every way you know like obviously I wanted some things to be different but I think I would just cling to the familiarity of what my father was okay that is so good cling to what (laughs) familiarity is like I just am like that's so good that's gonna go somewhere here like I'm gonna make a (laughs) make someone make a quote of that somewhere and put it on them (laughs) what was her name because like repeating we talk about repeating generational cycles but also like cling clinging to what is familiar to us and I don't think that we realize and intentionally necessarily do that. We're not like, I'm going to cling to what broken familiar fam- familiar cycles that I grew up in. Nobody's think nobody's doing that like intentionally, but what is familiar to us? We repeat if we don't break it and if we're not aware of it. Yeah. And I think that there's a lot of people who, you know, like you get to a certain point in your life where you don't know how you're going to keep going and you're like, okay, well I have to do something like I have to do something different. Obviously I can't keep doing the same things, making the same choices, picking the same people mm-hmm. because it obviously isn't working. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, And yeah. I, think, I think also like one time I heard this, therapist say to me she was like your pickers off like when I got out of my abuse of relationship she was like honey your pickers off <laughs> and I was like I don't know if I like that and I fired her I was like I, I'm not I'm not I don't think you're there <laughs> <right." laughs> 
And then I talked later to like, I have like a beautiful mama mentor named Caroline Markle Hammond. You guys have like probably heard her in this space do her, um, her story and she's phenomenal. And she was like, your picker's not off. You just choose what's familiar to you. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) It's that pressure off of us of like, why do I keep choosing these guys who are like emotionally unavailable? Or why do I keep choosing these guys who are like rebellious or don't really treat me right? And I'm just attracted to the bad boy type or I don't know. I just like the the good guys, the nice guys, they give me the ick. It's like, why? You know? And I think a lot of it, not all, all the time, but like not all the time, but I think often we cling to what's familiar And until we realize that you're not going to know what, you know, until you learn it. And so I think that's like really interesting that you said that, um, because like, obviously your dad, like you were saying, like some of the, we noted, I noted here, like one of the biggest traumas like that you had was living with your dad from nine to 14, but then like circle back to like relational, like looking for romantic relationships in some ways you found yourself kind of looking for people that were similar to your dad in certain instances, because it's all that you knew. Yeah. Which is interesting. Yeah. That was like, all. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. Um, yeah. When did you first notice that something was wrong? Did you feel like you fully answered that question of how the relationship was in the beginning? <sighs> that's hard like also you know when you're young and you get married when you're young people are like oh like it's not gonna work out you're too young so Mm -hmm. like you do that and people are already not on your side to begin with Mm -hmm. um but yeah I I would feel like I didn't really understand red flags at that point in my life like Mm -hmm. I or I I knew what they were maybe and just like didn't care I don't know I kind of like disassociated um like he I don't know it's hard for me to explain like when I noticed that something was wrong I think the biggest like shift for me in our relationship was actually right before we got married so we were engaged And obviously, like I said, we were young. I was 19 and he was 21 and we were paying for the wedding like on our own. So I was waitressing and he was, I don't, he was like fresh out of college. I think he had to like just graduated college Mm -hmm. and he went to a trade school. So he did like trade, trade work. He was um, like an elevator mechanic so he um, had just graduated and at the graduation party, which like the school hosted and everything, he had done drugs and it came up like when he went to get his drug test for his job, like a couple days after that party, mm-hmm. he came up hot on the test and Um, they laid him off for 30 days and it was like two, it was maybe two months before the wedding. And so he decided like that he was screwed, I guess, because he couldn't work for 30 days and we were about to get married. And, um, that is when he decided that he was going to start selling drugs. Hmm. 
and he didn't tell me about it until like right before the wedding and at that point I was like I can't call off my wedding like we paid all this money like Mm -hmm. And I think I just decided like, okay, we're going to like work through this and he's not going to do this anymore. And it was just like, you know, a mistake and it's going to be fixed. And that was a really like bad decision on my part. But like I said, I think I just didn't want to see the red flags for what they were. Hmm. So at that point, I like felt like I was stuck. I want to just like challenge you with something that you just said. You said that was my fault. That was my bad, like my fault. I want to challenge that because you said something. You said, I can't call off the wedding like we paid for it with all this money. And I think for anyone who's listening, if you're in a situation where you're married, where you're like where you're about to get married, you have the, like, you are free to call off a wedding. Like you can do that. And like, you are not stuck. Um, if you're in a marriage, you can get divorced. You're not stuck. Like you have that choice. And I think a lot of people don't feel like they have that choice. And so they end up just staying married until they're 48 and miserable, or they're like, at the altar and they're like, well, we just invested all the stuff. All these people are here. We put so much work into it. There's no way that I can call this off. So I'm just going to forgive this person because I love this person. So I'm going to just make it work. But like, you are free to do that. I want to like note that there, but also challenge you that like, it's not your bad and it's not your fault. Like if you think about all of the things that you just said leading up to this point, like you weren't necessarily given the option to like speak your mind to be honest and you like were kind of trapped that whole period of your life like you all you knew was like being trapped and so like if all you know is being trapped and then you get into a situation with somebody where they don't have enough they don't tell you the truth about what they're doing behind closed doors then like you're not really going to feel the freedom to excuse yourself from that table because all you know is like being trapped is people making poor decisions around you is like hurt and pain. And so for you, that, that was normal. That was familiar. And I don't think that's your fault or that's your bad. I think that's kind of just pretty normal to be honest, based on everything that you experienced in your early upbringing. Yeah. And I have to get better at doing that to myself too. So thanks for calling me out on it. Mm -hmm. It's just like the, you know, I don't know to to the people that I have actually told my story to besides like coming on here um there have been people that I've trusted that were my friends that ended up like stabbing me in the back basically and like calling me a victim and um just not being like who I thought they were so I still struggle with that a little bit when it comes to like sharing like the decisions that I've made and like my story and like what's happened and all of that. So. Mm. Yeah. Like just having like unsupportive people has kind of like shaped that for you a little bit. Yeah, for sure. And like, that's what I was trying to say. And, you know, when I shared one of the first things you shared, or I'm sorry, when I first shared 
something that I saw on your page for the first time, mm-hmm. I got huge backlash from that post of yours from like someone that I thought was my friend and like victim shamed for it. Really? So I, th- yeah. And so like, that's like a, a trigger is like sharing something um, that's like so vulnerable and just kind of, I don't know. It's like, it's hard not to like sit here and like blame yourself when like you have been blamed by other people that you thought that you could trust. Yeah. 100%. And like to be brave requires rejection. <laughs> like, yeah. like the amount of like hateful things I get on TikTok is wild at this point. I'm like, I'm like shielded up at this point because I'm like, all right, what's next? Like, people, <laughs> people hate that I'm advocating and I'm like, okay, like I can take it. Um, But like, <laughs> yeah, that's tough. And I think part of that is really just people aren't aware and they're they don't they're not educated when it comes to like domestic abuse but also like for someone because like I'm assuming what they're what you're pertaining what you're talking about with your friend is is it pertaining to church Church yeah it was I mean it was pertaining to like church abuse but our whole conversation like our argument that we got in was about my story um Mm -hmm. and like what she thought of my story and my choices and like you know, who I am as a person. And um, yeah, I mean, I ended up blocking her because I was just like, this is not like, you're supposed to be like my Christian friend and you're not acting like a Christian friend. Like it was like the exact opposite. Well, I think for one, like Christians who like get all riled up about anything that pertains to like church abuse, it in essence, like as a Christian, and you, you probably probably resonate to this, but like it's like when you're a Christian, like your whole identity is wrapped up in it. And so if somebody challenges that, like of course you're gonna get all dysregulated dysregulated and riled up because it's like if it causes you to question like the church or areas, because you can there's no way that you can be a Christian in a church and not see some of the things that are happening. Like that is like just toxic church things because people are human and they make mistakes, but also like the church is not handling everything perfectly. And so when it causes people to like confront that, it kind of like their whole identity is wrapped in it. So then they get really riled up about it. And so she probably was like riled up already. And then like on top of that, like then it sounds like she was judging you for the abuse that you experienced, which is like, like it just makes me laugh because it's like, like starting we're starting this about unhealthy church environments and then as a christian you're judging somebody for being abused like you're literally proving the point like right now that is exactly what i said to her i was like you're proving my point <laughs> like you're literally going to be an example on the podcast now <laughs> and so whoever you are you are an example to why we are talking about this right now thank you thank you for being here <laughs> in this space welcome um <laughs> And I hope she learns from it. Um, she maybe won't, but maybe she will. I don't know. Um, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. But I think something beautiful about like speaking out, to be honest, is that you find your people. And it's painful when like, like you said, she's your your Christian friend. And you're like, dang, dang like you shouldn't be responding like this to me, like this <laughs> left field. But when you are brave and you actually speak your truth, 
Christians will come at me for that sentence, like speaking my truth. But like, yeah, when I'm speaking my truth, I find my people and like people who don't like that bye. like you can, you can either like be educated and like walk through this with me. And if you don't agree, respectfully disagree, but also respectfully, like not judge me because you're a Christian and you shouldn't be judging in the first place. Or if it's not for you and this space is not for you, bye. Like, but you will yeah. find people who do align with you. Like I align with you, you align with me. And it's like, I would rather speak the things that are important to me and speak the things that I believe and call out the, the areas of injustice that I see and have people like you or like my other friends in this space, like, like rally behind that than just people please for the sake of people pleasing and being quiet for the sake of not disturbing people's like idea of Christianity or whatever, you know? I agree 100%. Yeah. <laughs> but people people are definitely going to get riled up by that. And she is our example as someone who is riled up. <laughs> uh, um, okay. When did you first notice that something was wrong with him? Like, how long did it take for you to realize that something was truly wrong? But when was the point where you're like, hmm, this is not right? Um. Yeah, after we got married, um, things were pretty good for, like, two years. Like, we were both working, and, um, you know, like, it wasn't, there wasn't really, like, I would say red flags. Um, it was just, like, I don't know. I kind of was, like, living on autopilot, maybe, like, like, we were happy, like, there was no drama, like, or at least I didn't know of anything at that point. Like, I didn't feel like I didn't have an intuition that something was off at that point. So, so for two years, um, and then, um, we moved, we ended up moving, like, right up the street from the apartment that we were staying in, and then, um, got a dog, and, um he was kind of like more pushy about having a baby than like I guess I was like ready for I was kind of trying to talk myself into it because I had wanted to like wait obviously since being like a pregnant teenager and everything it was like important to me to really feel like I was ready to be the mother that I wanted to be and it was like my greatest fear to have a split family because obviously like I came from that and I didn't want that for my children. Mm -hmm. Um, so I had just been wanting to just take my time. Like I wasn't in a hurry to have a baby. Um, but you know, he kind of just like talked me into it and then we like tried and I got pregnant right away and um like I said that was after like two years and then basically like while we were trying to get pregnant that's when I started to feel like something was off but it was like hard to trust like my intuition at that point because like I was I basically knew I was pregnant before the test could tell me so I was like my hormones are like out of whack you know maybe like it's just that. And then um, 
you know, I should have just trusted my intuition, like, instead of second guessing. Um, but he was just like out drinking all the time and working all the time and wasn't really ever home. And, um, there was like a night that he got so drunk, like his siblings had to like help him walk like to the car, um, and then walk inside. Like there was like a lot of instances like that. Um, but yeah, right, right after I took the pregnancy test and it was right before Christmas, um, I like found texts on his phone of him like seeing another woman and her kid and like helping her put up her tree and like all this stuff um and I basically just that was like another moment in my life where I was just like I am like completely stuck right now like and I also kind of couldn't even fathom the fact that he would do that to me knowing like who I am and knowing my story and knowing like that I was a pregnant teenager and that like that was a traumatic pregnancy obviously and I kind of just was like I can't believe that I'm actually like going through this and I think at the time I was like oh like he's he'll stop like he won't keep cheating on me like I found out he's gonna stop and I begged him for like a year to stop and (laughs) that didn't do anything I think it might have just made it worse right right do you feel like at that time like if if hypothetically you had had like a supportive family and a place to return to do you feel like you would have remained in that place of like begging him to stop or do you feel like it would have been easier to leave um (laughs) but that's another thing I also hid this from like anyone and everyone for a while Mm -hmm. um because it wasn't just the cheating like there's more to it obviously but um yeah I didn't really tell like anyone for a long time because I I think I didn't want to believe that it was real um but yeah I'd say maybe if I did have somewhere to go and like I felt like I I actually would have had help like from anyone then yeah I think it would have been a lot easier for me to just leave but I felt like I had nowhere to go Mm. what a beautiful thing I just want to note this here like (laughs) like it just makes me so damn excited like the fact that like it's at one point you were like I'm not telling any anybody like not a single soul like that was a genuine place that you were in where you were like I am not going to speak of this for whatever reason like the internally protecting someone someone's image if you say something that it's really happening or you know really makes it real or just whatever like the there's so many reasons why I think we don't I didn't for a year I never told like really anyone in my circle about the abuse that was in that was being carried out like I didn't know it was abuse but the things that were happening I was like my lips were sealed And now I'm like, here I am, we're hosting, I'm hosting a podcast for domestic abuse and every week talking about someone else's abuse story, like what? And so it's like, 
for you, it's just cool because it's like you're you were in that place and now look at this space that you're in where it's like we're literally talking about your story and it's like gonna help thousands of women. Like that's amazing. I don't know. I just think that's cool. Yeah. It's yeah. crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy because it's just such a different space that you're in. Um and I just want to note that I think because like I think that shows like it just says something, speak something. And I think it's really powerful. Um Okay. So you felt stuck and like, you couldn't really like you were hoping that he would just stop and he wasn't. Yeah. Do you feel like he looking back now, do you feel like he was pushing for another baby because he was trying to keep you stuck? Um, well, I mean, so the first, my first baby wasn't his just to clarify that okay um so um I do I think that he intentionally got me pregnant so that he felt like he had like a sense of control and power over me yes Mm -hmm. um and I think the reason that I say that is because I you know, I wanted to go to therapy with him. And that's something that I pushed like really hard. I was like, we need to go to therapy. We need to go to therapy because I was like, I literally can't do this. And I didn't want to go like to the church because, you know, just things that I'd experienced from the church, like I didn't feel comfortable going there for help. Um, And he basically refused to go to therapy. So I had gone maybe like two times on my own, like while I was still pregnant. And I think one of the first things I told the therapist was like, I feel like I don't understand how another human being, like the person that I'm married to, that is supposed to like love me and cherish me and like take care of me and, you know, be supportive to me is like could do something like this knowing that I've been through a very traumatic pregnancy and not just that but just like my childhood in general because he didn't come from like the same type of situation as me so I was just like so shocked that he was even capable of of doing what he was doing because it wasn't just you know one time like one girl it was multiple girls but it was like this one girl was more of the problem than anything because it was like he was playing family with her you know like it wasn't it wasn't just him doing it behind my back it was him doing it like with me knowing that he was doing it and just not stopping and I don't I just don't know how to explain like how psychologically abusive that is (laughs) so at that point when you experienced the cheating you realized that something was wrong obviously like you were now pregnant you felt stuck he wasn't going to stop entertaining that relationship and playing family with this other woman um how did it begin to manifest in your daily life um I kind of this part is kind of like a twofold because I want to get into like experiences of abuse. So I really want to look at and delve into like what was happening in your relationship, the way he was treating you 
things that were happening that just didn't sit right with you. And you look back now and you're like, yeah, that was emotional abuse or psychological or whatever it may be. Like, how did that start to manifest in your life? Like, where were you realizing that? And then how was that making you feel? And what ways were you coping with that? Mm -hmm. Or unable to cope with it? Yeah. Um, Well, he was selling drugs again. Um, And I don't really know when that all started like after I had gotten pregnant or like if it had, if if it had been happening like throughout the entire marriage and I just didn't know it until, you know, all of this other stuff blew up. Mm -hmm. Um, but the selling of the drugs, um, it was like the finding out of him cheating on me, like, and then there was just like, you know, a lot of gaslighting when it came to that, like, you know, I'll stop, I'll stop, I'll stop. Um, and, um, or like me asking him questions and then him saying that stuff never happened. Um, that was like very clear that it did. Cause it was all like in the texts. Um, but I would say when he got arrested for selling drugs, um, that was a couple of months after he started cheating on me. Um, and that's when everything really, really started to go downhill and where I was starting to see more of like what was happening, um, where I started to maybe understand that it was abusive. I, I don't know, because at that point still, I hadn't realized like that it was abuse, I would say. Um but it was uh, never being here, um, getting completely obliterated, like drunk, um, telling me that he wasn't going to be with her anymore than going out and getting drunk and coming home and just still like sleeping with me, even though I didn't want that. Um, that was difficult to deal with. Um, I would you- say... Did you feel like it was like, would you consider it as so far as to say like sexual assault within an intimate relationship? Yeah, I would say that because I didn't, this is what I mean as like far as getting trapped, like feeling like you're trapped. It's like, he wouldn't leave me for her. I would tell him to just leave because he was staying with her and she was doing his laundry and like, you know, he would be working out of state super late, super far away and would come home and, or not come home. He would go to her house and stay with her. Mm. So when he would come home, he would be drunk and I would be like trying to sleep and it would be like him just coming home drunk and forcing himself on me. Mm. Um, and I knew that he was like, not, having protective sex with her like at all Mm. and in the confines of marriage and also when you're pregnant um that's like very dangerous for a lot of reasons Mm -hmm. so I think I felt I don't I just don't even know the word it was just like completely trapped like I didn't know what to do like I didn't have a voice I couldn't go anywhere he wouldn't go anywhere And 
I was just trying to like survive through that, like to give birth to my daughter. Mm -hmm. So it was a lot of like living and like, just like freeze. Like I was just frozen. Like I didn't, I don't even remember like a lot of that time other than like those big instances or like where he would like come home and like tell me that I need to clean because like the house would be a mess and I just like couldn't keep it clean because I didn't even know how I was going to like live to the next day. Mm. Would you say that like, would you say that he was when you were younger that he was grooming you or no? I would say that there was a lot of things that like went on in our relationship, like while we were dating that like now, if I saw it in a relationship, like in the very beginning, I would be like, absolutely not. Like I'm not even entertaining that in the slightest bit, Mm -hmm. like him being fine with like, you know, in an open relationship, like stuff like that. Um, That like, when you grow up like in the church and like you meet someone at church, you don't expect like that kind of behavior. Mm-hmm. And like, I was never okay with it, but it was something that he wanted. And that's where I'm like, why did I keep trying to like, I would say I was like trying to change him. Like I wanted him to be better mm. and like not keep making mistakes and not keep you know doing things that were clearly not okay Mm -hmm. yeah I just asked that question because I feel like when we're talking about how you were raised and what happened in your upbringing and then like you were really young when you met him he was two years older than you and like I mean it's like teetering that line of like you know you're quite young he's like a little bit older and it's like I mean it happens all the time like older like in 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 high school people I know plenty high school sweethearts who are the guy was a little bit older than her and they are just fine so I'm not saying that this is always grooming but I don't know it's just interesting to me like it sounds like grooming to me and I think we have to like within the church stop like not you but just in general like women have to stop letting that be like the the bar like it's like oh well I met him in church like church just because someone attends church means jack shit and (laughs) (laughs) like I don't care if you go to church every single Sunday I really don't like I want to know I want to know if you have integrity what if you're honest I want to know you know, there's so many more things other than the fact that you go to church. And I think because we've been so programmed in the church to like, be like, oh, don't date non-Christians, like only date men in the church. It's like, then girls and women are like, okay, I'm just looking for men in the church. And then they check off a box. And that's the number one box we have is like, loves God, goes to church. Well, just because someone claims to love God and claims to go to church or even may go to church or even maybe a pastor or maybe a pastor's son means jack shit. And, <laughs> and it's like, mean, it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> like we've got to look deeper. Um, <clears throat> and that's, I mean, like literally this season, like 
I think like four out of the five episodes have been churchmen. And I didn't even plan that. I didn't even plan that. Like that's just happening. And so it's just crazy. Um, but anyways, so I feel like I'm going on a tangent, but I, I feel like he groomed you. And especially like, I mean, to be honest, I do think that you were like, like vulnerable at that age. And yeah. like, I mean, these are things that are communicated early on. If you're interested in having open relationships, then like that's something you need to tell your partner. And it sounds like you guys were both young, but I mean, the fact that he's cheating on you, unwilling to remove himself from this woman, and then also like knows how vulnerable you were in that state when you were young, feeling trapped. And then he's like, trying to get you pregnant while also trying to have a family with somebody else. Like that's literally just like, that's so messed up. <laughs> like, I don't even know. <laughs> it's like, who does that? You know, abusive men. That's who does that. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, the, the drug stuff too, like I, if it was just that, like, obviously it wouldn't be the same situation, but it was just like the lies about that and like, just not, not telling the truth about what was going on and then like us being put in in really dangerous situations because of the people that he was involved with when you know all that stuff was happening Mm -hmm. so that was just a lot like to to not only be dealing with you know him cheating on me like relentlessly but also just all of the stuff with the law and like him having to go to jail and um and like what came with that it was just it was like too much basically yeah yeah so some examples you used of like coping or like not being able to cope was like not being able to like necessarily keep track of like your daily life and cleanliness because you're too busy trying to survive all the like yeah and I'd say the worst it got was like when he was in jail so he went in like when he was in that's when I started to I would say actually the process everything Mm -hmm. um and it was like he went into jail right before COVID um and literally a few days after he went into jail um I have a little sister and we have uh, the same dad but a different mom and her mom had actually just passed away from a drug overdose Mm -hmm. a few days after he went to jail and um my daughter at the time was six months old and COVID hit like a month later Mm -hmm. um I was breastfeeding her uh up until like July and then when July hit um I had not been working for like five months because of all the shutdowns and I lost like so much weight I was like down to I think like 102 maybe and so I was like very like sick like not even sick physically I was just like mentally so unwell um and he was just still like relentless when he was in prison like trying to still be a family and it wasn't just with me though it was 
still trying to be a family with the girl that he was cheating on me with. Mm -hmm. So it really just never ended. Like it was just, you know, him lying to both of us and like wanting to have like two separate lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What would you say are like a couple of experiences within the relationship that really stand out to you now being able to like look back? I know we've shared already some experiences, but do you have like three that kind of stand out to you now that you're out that you look back and think, oh, that is an experience that definitely identifies with abuse, identifies as abuse? Um, Hold on. I need a second to like gather my thoughts because there was like too many (laughs) You're like three, I'll give you ten. <laughs> <laughs> um well there was like when he when I was like repeatedly catching him and his lies like all the time and like bringing it to light. There was one specific time where I was like really begging him like not to leave and he I had uh, my daughter with me and she was only like I don't know two months two months old and I was begging him to stop cheating and um he ended up like taking this tray that I had like a like a dinner tray kind of thing that you would like put on your lap or like a bed like a bed tray that Mm -hmm. you would eat breakfast with and he got the tray and he like threw it across the room and then like slammed the door and my daughter ended up like screaming and that was like around the same time that he was like out getting wasted and um like sleeping with other women and then there were like um rape allegations from other women like at that same time really yeah um and that was like a lot for me to try to process and deal with like just trying to like you know fathom him going to jail and like him not stopping the cheating and then there's rape allegations and then like him throwing things and then when I told him that I was gonna like finally like speak up about like the things that he was doing um he like threatened to leave and like never come back wait really quick pause um yeah I've got COVID brain so I feel like I'm I'm like want to make sure I get this correctly so you had the rape allegations was he in jail what was he in jail for again um he was selling cocaine that's right okay it was drug dealing okay but then Mm -hmm. there were rape allegations before he went to jail yeah there were rape allegations before he went to jail but like not to a court of law i see like it was um like through like mutual people like that know him basically Mm -hmm. like it was this it was a girl that i knew from the church also these were people all from the church Mm -hmm. and it was this girl that was friends with the girl that like put the rape allegations against him but it wasn't like I said it wasn't like in a court of law like she didn't take it to court and I would assume that it was like because of 
the family involvement like I don't know how to explain it but basically the girl that was accusing him of rape was like related by marriage to him Mm. okay so it's like it's messy (laughs) yeah yeah that makes sense and so it was like they didn't really want that probably tied to their name I'm assuming or she didn't want that tied to herself yeah yeah man yeah um and like he would call me a monster um he would tell me that uh, my daughter hates me. He would, like, threaten to kill himself if I said anything, like I said, um, like, about, like, him selling drugs or cheating or, you know, the rape allegations. and Yeah. It sounds like he just started to become, like, your worst nightmare, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and I don't think that people would... Like, I think the thing that he thought made him not abusive was the fact that he never laid a hand on me because it wasn't ever physical. It was all, like, psychological abuse. Hmm. I mean, besides, like, coming home drunk and, like, forcing himself on me, but. Yeah. I think that's crazy. Like, um, my ex, he always used to say, I remember when I first started to ever even entertain the word abuse and a girl who's one of my best friends now, she's American, married to a German, met her in Europe, which is kind of crazy. And she told me, I think you're being abused. And I remember confronting him with that and saying, you're being abusive. And I remember him kind of just having this reaction, like, oh, the audacity that you'd say, like, I've never even hit you. (laughs) And at the time... I was like, you're right, you haven't. So he he hasn't abused me. And if only he'd hit me, then I'd be abused. But like, there's so much more to abuse than just like obviously hitting. And I feel like if you're new here, maybe that sounds fresh to you and like welcome. <laughs> but like, if you're not, then like we've been talking about this for five seasons. And it's like there abuse is just, abuse is so many different shades. Like it's not just one shade. And I think like a lot of this behavior definitely 1000% is abusive, obviously. Um, But because he's not like hitting you, he just like doesn't deem that as abuse. And it's like, I feel like all men, but like, I'm, I'm just talking like particularly to like someone you met in church. Like, it's like, they tread this line of like, well, I'm not going to hit her. I'm not going to do enough but I'm going to do just enough to like deteriorate her. And so like you're deteriorating and he like can still function a bit highly where he doesn't do enough to make it like that to that point where you would leave. But like, he's just, I don't know. He just like kind of like, like walks on the line and it's like, I feel like I see this a lot and it just like frustrates me because it's like, even when you leave, like, so many people the first question they ask is like did he hit you and it's like well no and then immediately you feel like well my story just doesn't matter because he didn't hit me or like you're talking about your story and then it's like there's no physical abuse and so you're like well 
a lot of it really was just like over time, emotional abuse over and over and over again, that it literally made me lose X amount of weight to the point where I was a skeleton. But people don't view it like that, especially uneducated people. Like when it comes to trauma and abuse, they just like don't get it. And so you get people who are judgmental, like, you know, church girl that we were talking about earlier, (laughs) it just cast judgment on you. Um, But I can see like just over time listening to your story, like bit by bit, each thing that's happening, it's like taking it one knock at a time at you, at your soul and your spirit and your health. Yeah. I mean, there were just things that he would say and do like over and over again that just, like you said, just slowly, like it felt like I was like deteriorating. Mm -hmm. And like by the end of my pregnancy, I was like eight months pregnant and really was like alone. I felt like I was alone most of my my pregnancy. Um, And like I was working still. but I was eight months pregnant and it was like the 4th of July and he was like, you know, spending time with her and her kid and like wouldn't come home. And at that point I had just like felt like I was just giving up, like I couldn't eat and like, you know, I was pregnant. So I was concerned like about my child and I didn't want anything to happen to her. So I ended up checking myself into the hospital because I think I hadn't eaten in like, I don't know, almost 24 hours at that point. And I was just like very concerned and like didn't want anything to happen to her. So I checked myself in there just so that I could like have like a safe space to kind of like say what was going on. Um, So it's not like he, you know, did something to physically hurt me to put me in the hospital, but like the things that he was doing to me mentally and emotionally like made me end up there Mm. and I don't tell a lot of people that story either because that's like very vulnerable to like tell people that you were literally like carrying a child and you couldn't you just like had zero appetite and you had to like go to the hospital and ask for help because you just like couldn't keep going Mm. but Yeah, that was also like a turning moment for me, I think, when I was in there because I was just like, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to do this and I don't want to live like this, but like, I'm not going to keep living like this. Right. Yeah. So you feel like for you, that was a turning point for you? Yeah, I think like, I mean, each, like that was my second like traumatic pregnancy and I think I really was just distraught that like I didn't get to have the pregnancy that like I wanted to have um and I felt like I was just not able to enjoy it like at all and that's really sad especially for my daughter because like she doesn't deserve that like she deserved for me to like be happy and like have an easy pregnancy and like you know have someone like walk by my side and like really support me and like and her Mm -hmm. um but yeah I I don't know what do you say that's the climax to your story I think the climax was like when I actually 
finally filed for divorce because I waited to file a year after he got out of jail. Okay. And I don't know. I think the main reason that I waited, it wasn't because I was like second guessing it. It was just because of like the financial resources. Hmm. What would you say was the, like the climax? Can you talk more about that? Like experience? um like when I realized I was like completely done Mm -hmm. yeah like why do you feel like for you that was the climax why does that stand out as the climax for you Um, because I felt like I was finally like not under his control anymore when I like finally was able to like financially able to go get a lawyer and finally leave like, and I mean, I'm still not divorced. So, and that was two years ago that I filed, but that was like, as far as I've gotten so far to like being not under his control anymore. Yeah. And that was in 2020? 2021, I filed. Okay. What do you, so do you think that, what, like the question that I always ask is like, what made you leave? Um, But I feel like we kind of know what made you leave. Um, But do you feel like it was really just like, kind of as a whole like the him being in jail him refusing to leave her and then also like realizing that your body was deteriorating during that during that pregnancy yeah I think like it was like a domino effect it was like how long it all went on for and just the fact that like I knew it wasn't ever gonna change like Mm -hmm he went to therapy with me like one time and didn't want to be there and like hated every second of it. And like, I don't even think he even said like anything. And that just showed me like how obvious it was that like he was never going to change. Right. Um, and then also just like the, the lying, like just constantly, constantly lying and, um, gaslighting and like deflecting and, yeah, like he, I mean, just the fact that he wanted, he, he wouldn't leave. I told him to leave so many times and just go be with her. Like, just go be with this girl. I don't care. Mm-hmm. And he wouldn't. Like, mm-hmm. he wanted to stay with me and be a family, but also still have her and her kid. Mm-hmm. And I still, like, can't wrap my mind around it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's hard to like, like, it's hard to set that boundary, like when you're actually in it and you like love somebody and it's kind of all, you know, because you guys were together for so long. Um, 
but I think like I know that like for him that would have just only continued and like whether that you know transpired into another relationship with someone else and then like you're still that woman in the back of in the back of his mind or you know like it sounds like he just really didn't he definitely okay he definitely does not it does he he does not value you if he valued you he wouldn't put you through that in the first place but it sounds like he wanted to have his cake and eat it too and it's hard to set those boundaries when you don't like initially set them up or you may not fully have the like awareness to set those things up because you were so young and feeling stuck like there's just so much that comes into play that makes this situation so intricate that it's like someone looking from the outside looking in who doesn't know your full story like church girl may cause may like act within judgment but that's why I think it's so important to know that beginning of how we got to this place because like it's so intricately intertwined into your story. And I think like he took advantage of that and he groomed you and shame on him for that. Like that's fucking terrible. Yeah, I agree. I mean, and then just like (laughs) telling, telling me like, he's like, I only got you pregnant because I thought it would make me want to stay. Wow. And like, you know, I don't know if I said it before, but he was like, what have you ever really done for me besides carry my child? And that's just like dehumanizing. Like, I think that's just how he made me feel like I was like worthless, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you're constantly trying to like, like reach for that, like validation, but it's never going to actually happen because he doesn't like did you feel like that? Like you were trying to like, because if like someone doesn't want you, then you like want them to want you more. Yeah, I did feel like that for a while. And then like, I think I just finally woke up, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So once you decided to leave, <clears throat> um, can we jump into the aftermath of abuse? Yeah, so... I decided, I mean, I told him when he was still in prison that I didn't want to be with him anymore. Okay. And um, I don't think that he believed me or he just didn't want to believe me. And when he got out, um, he tried to still come back to the house, like to live at the house. And I had to like change my locks and everything. Um, but there was like a point where he was like coming over to my house and I had to like lock him out of my bedroom. And then he ended up like breaking the lock of my bedroom and coming in and just like harassing me, like harassing me, telling me that he was going to sell the house if like I didn't get back together with him. Um, and like I was in another relationship. Um, by the time he got out and um, he kind of just made things like really miserable for me, um, tried ruining that relationship. And, um, you know, he would like use the excuse of like me talking to the girl that he had cheated on me with 
Um, so he was like able to do that with my new relationship because we're still legally married and, um, you know, that was also looked down upon in the church community, me dating someone else, um, without being legally divorced yet. Um, but yeah, he was just threatening to, to sell the house. And then, um, we would get into like really heated arguments, like in front of our daughter, um, when we were doing exchanges, um, and pretty much right after he got out of prison, um, you know, we just like had an agreement with our custody and not anything legal set up yet. Um, and like, to be honest, I was kind of just scared to like get into the family court system and all of that. Um, mm-hmm. And with like cases like mine, when I did finally find my lawyer, um, I didn't disclose um, a lot of history to him and I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Um, But like my ex doesn't even have a lawyer. Um, So the back and forth, um, it's basically just like him not signing things and um, he would make threats about custody um, like before it was set in stone. So basically um, would threaten to take me to court uh, for full custody for whatever reason, like just no reason. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's like where the harassment still comes in. Um, and just like not like relentlessly like not leaving me alone um trying to get me to like do things with him and my daughter um and like not listening to anything that I say like not not listening to my boundaries and what I want um and I feel like I don't know I feel like court and the like my lawyer can't do anything mm-hmm. So where, where are you guys at right now in court? Like, do you have full custody of your child? Um, no. So he has uh, partial custody. So we have 50-50 custody. Hmm. And he wasn't willing to settle on less than that. And when I did talk to my lawyer about full custody, he said that I wouldn't get it. And at that point, I was, like, so deep into lawyer fees that I didn't even know how I would be able to like make it work if I if I try to take him for full custody like it's like not it's not something that's like on my radar financially isn't that crazy like to have full custody of your child it's like it has to be on our radar financially like isn't that that's just crazy to me like that we even have to think like that as mothers yeah because it really is like to an extent how much can you afford safety how much can you afford full custody (laughs) yeah and like I mean there's just like things that might seem minor to some people that he does that are just like not minor to me and like it's just something that I have to to live with um you know because I can't control what he does when he has my daughter but the way that he treats me is like a direct reflection of how I feel like he's going to treat her 
So that's what scares me. Right. Which makes sense. And <clears throat> do you feel like because of everything that you've, this is okay. You don't have to answer this question, but I'm asking this question because I feel like this. And so I'm curious if you do, if you don't totally fine, but do you feel like because of what you've experienced in your past growing up and then now having this happen and being in this position, do you feel like a failure? Yeah, I think I struggle with that a lot and just feeling like I can't ever do enough. Like, I don't, it really wasn't ever supposed to be a thing for you to be a single parent. Like, because mm -hmm. it's just extremely overwhelming mm -hmm. to like try to do it all on your own and like pay for everything that we need to pay for, you know? Mm hmm so yeah I do feel like that a lot of times but then like I am in therapy and I have been for the last year and that has helped like immensely um and then just like like I said becoming like trauma informed and like really um like researching the nervous system and how trauma affects us and our nervous system and how to regulate it and get out of survival mode like that's helped a lot and I think like I really have to work on my positive self-talk <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> I feel that and I'm not saying that because I think you're a failure but <clears throat> I think like like there's an appreciation in this particular area where we talk about the aftermath of abuse because in the past I would kind of skip over this and just be like okay what are your dreams and visions now it's like well the aftermath of abuse is really ugly and really hard and like it is like sometimes at least for me like some of it is is harder than it was being in the actual relationship for me but I just often find myself at this place of like I know I'm not but like I feel like a failure because I feel like for me I always was like I never want to be a single mom I never want to raise my kid without them having a father and I want to grow up financially stable and have a degree and be set. Like I want to be set and I want my kid to feel like in a healthy, steady family. And now here, here we are. I'm like living in my childhood home again. <laughs> like I don't have a degree. I'm like divorced. I'm a single mom, 28. Like, and I'm like, this is not how it was supposed to be. <laughs> like, and I feel yeah. familiar sometimes uh, compared to others, but it's like so real. And like, I'm not even embarrassed to say that because it's like, yeah, I feel like I failed, but like, I know I did it and I can't remain in that place. And I work on that affirmation, those affirmations to affirm my, you know, growth and progress and, you know, but it's, it's, un it's like, it's not really authentic I think to sit here after an episode and be like okay so like what are your dreams now it's like well I'm I want to know that I want to know what you're doing and what you're pursuing and healing and how you've grown but I also want to know like how you're actually doing you know and like where you're actually at because I think that's very real and that's a part that I skipped over for a really long time with women and I wish I would have known that then but I didn't and now I do and I want to know like 
where you're actually at and how you actually feel about things, you know, because a lot of the women listening probably feel the same way. Yeah. And I mean, I have a lot of women in my close like circle, like from you and then just like from Instagram and then just in my family and friends in general um, that have experienced um, abuse. And, um, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of support for those women like, you know, with each other. And um, I'm very thankful for that, like that we're able to like have each other and support each other um, and like talk about stuff that's hard to talk about because not enough people do. Um, so yeah, that, that does help me like having a community here for sure. Um, but aside from that, I mean, like sometimes I do feel like a failure, but within the last year, um, I graduated from massage school and, um, like kind of changed my whole career. Like I've been working, uh, for a massage company for a while, but, um, just like finally got my license to be a therapist and that has been really life-changing. Um, that was like, it's been like the best form of therapy for me just because of how much trauma I felt like was just living in my body and like staying stuck. Mm. Um, so that's been like an amazing career change for me because not only have I like helped myself, um, heal a lot of trauma, but can also help other people to do the same. So that's, that makes me feel like less of a failure. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I know for sure. I think community is everything after abuse, especially finding people who like have been also in the same situation. Yeah. Who you can like have rally behind you. I feel like that's something I'm realizing even, I don't know, like in this particular season, like I've grown a lot closer to certain women in this space. Um, mostly guests that I've had on here and then I connect with them and I realize the intricacies of our lives. And I'm like, like, why are we not walking alongside of each other in day-to-day life? Like, even if it's virtually, because like my friends can only understand so much. They like, they love me and they do their best to understand, but like, they don't, they don't get it. And there's actually women in this space who really do get it and who really are actually in very similar situations. And I think that's really special to have. Um, something that I wanted to note here, like my, so she's, um, for a period of time was like in my assistant in this space. She came on, I think the first season, her name's Kylie Allison and she's a therapist and she actually is starting up a domestic violence group on Facebook that eventually is going to be, you know, all the people in what was her name, like are welcomed to join in that space. Anybody is, but like, it's really just space for women to like be able to on the day to day communicate about what's going on and be able to encourage each other. And I think that's like really helpful because I don't know, there's some domestic abuse communities that I've tried to like get in on Facebook that I just can't like, I don't know. It's just not the space for me. I don't know. And uh, <laughs> it's just not it. Um, and then there's some really amazing advocates in this space. But I would say, I don't know if we have necessarily like 
an online community like where and so she's a therapist so she's gonna maybe host like some calls and do things like that and there's no cost associated with it so just yeah I think go ahead no sorry I just think that's a really good idea yeah so just to be able to look out for that and then also for people who are listening I do want to know what is something that you can do now that you couldn't do then that you're grateful for Um, I would say spending quality time with my daughter. And I feel like this is a similar thing to like the last episode, because I've resonated with that episode so much. But um, yeah, I would say really, genuinely getting to spend quality time with my daughter where I'm actually present, and not in state like fight or flight, like just not on autopilot it's the same like because when you're going through that you talked about this last episode too like you just can't really be present like with your kid the way that you want to be and that was like the one thing that I desired out of motherhood the most was to actually be like a present mom and really like teach my daughter like how to be a good human being and like how to be a light in the world Mm -hmm. and I felt like i was failing at doing that when I was really in the thick of it because I couldn't be that Mm so um yeah now that I've changed like my career and everything um I have more time with her and um it's like bittersweet because I feel like I missed so much time but now I feel like I'm making up for it Mm -hmm. so yeah I think regulating my nervous system and actually being able to be like in the present moment is like what I'm most grateful for because I definitely could not do that back then yeah and I think that's like such growth as well because it's like like it's just I don't know like I I was actually looking at your Instagram earlier and um you do it says a somatic massage therapist can you dive into what that is for me so somatics is like a specific modality in like trauma healing um so there's like somatic exercises that you can do but basically it's like really tuning into the breath with the body so um you know our body is like a, a whole, like there are no separate parts. And I think a lot of the times what happens in psychology is that we make the mind separate from the body and um, somatics, you're putting the, the mind with the body and the breath. Right. Um, so it's really um, like a really good tool um, for releasing trauma. Yeah. I've, I've had like a couple of, guests on the panel the season panel where we did like different professionals they recommended that somatic um like a type of I think it's like yin yoga it's like some yeah different yeah there's different types of like exercises within the somatic realm um so you can really dive like deep into it but I would like you know if you're someone who is looking into um, different ways that you can release trauma. That's definitely one of them. There's things that you can do on your own or, 
you know, you can see a somatic trauma practitioner. Um, but there's definitely a lot of things that you can do on your own. Um, but yeah, I learned a lot about that through uh, the book Waking the Tiger by Peter Levine. I don't know if you've heard of that book. No. Yeah, it's phenomenal. <laughs> Wait, Waking the Tiger? Yeah. By Peter Levine. And what is it about? It is an entire book about healing trauma. Ooh. That's yeah. how up our alley here. <laughs> yeah. That's one of my like go-to books um that really like dives deep into, you know, healing trauma, what trauma is and how we can heal from it. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Um if people are looking into getting into somatic exercises, where would you recommend that they start? I would start with that book. Okay. Yeah. Um, there's exercises in the book. Um, it guides you through it. And the information is um, kind of like unmatched. Um, there's a lot of books about trauma. Like there's the body keeps the score as well, but specifically for the somatic exercises I would recommend waking the tiger yeah thanks <clears throat> okay well I will <clears throat> maybe like bookmark that here so that people are able to like find that book um and then also last question is what are your visions and dreams moving forward what does life look for look like for you now what are your dreams and visions um yeah life for me right now is just um focusing on my new career and um really helping people heal and um I just want to continue doing that in the future I want to be more knowledgeable about um about trauma and what it does to our bodies and I want to inform other people of it um hopefully help other people be more trauma informed mm. and um yeah I just want other people to realize that there's a life outside of abuse and um to be grateful for like the little things in every day mm. yeah I think that's beautiful I feel like <clears throat> Yeah, there's just so much here in this space. Like I took some notes on your story and like <clears throat> you've just <laughs> you've endured a lot, a lot. Um and just like hearing where you're at in the space here and now, like I don't know, like your kids are just so lucky to have you. And it's like, wait, do you just have the one since you so the my daughter that I had through open adoption she's 12 now okay. um I still see her um like every few months um and I'm actually very close with her adoptive parents so um she calls me Aunt Kelly and um yeah I still see her like pretty often she's just not like you know she doesn't live with me she lives with her adoptive parents and her siblings but um yeah, she's still, I still tell people that I have two daughters, so. 
Okay. And then you're raising the one daughter. Yes. Okay. I see. Okay. That makes, that makes more sense. Um, <laughs> either way though, it's like, <clears throat> you're definitely making waves and learning and have so much more awareness than like your own upbringing provided for you. And that means that at some point when your daughter gets older, she's going to have a mother who she can look to for support in the way that you couldn't. And that's massive. That's a calling in and of itself, to be honest. Um, and I'm just super grateful to have you in this space and to hear your story and hear more about you. And I'm excited to like grow in friendship more with you and like just have you in this space and community. I already am thinking about other women that like I want you to connect with. <clears throat> like last week's guest, um, I don't know if you know her in that space. She was anonymous. So I'm I'm going to ask you once we stop recording, but um, I think you guys would really get along well. Um, but I'm just grateful for you coming into this and sharing your story. I know it's like nerve wracking and it's hard because especially when you've like had people judge you for sharing your story, it's like, I don't know, it doesn't make you as ex- like apt to like share your story with people. Cause you're like, don't know how people are going to respond to it. Um, but I know that this is going to impact others. And like, there just seems to be this trend. I, I mean, your story correlates with the last guest's story a lot which is why I think you guys will be friends to be honest but um with the cheating in particular and then the the upbringing of like familial dynamics um but cheating isn't something we've talked about a lot on this in this space and I think it's like really important to talk about and I think a lot of times people separate like oh well cheating is just cheating and abuse that's a different thing but like no like cheating is actually very like intricately like tied into abusive patterns and abusive behavior and like we need to talk about that because just because a man is not hitting you doesn't mean he's not abusing you doesn't mean that cheating is not like aligned with like absolute deterioration of your inward spirit and soul like and we have to like pay attention to those things and I hope that it sheds light on people who are in that situation listening to this who are like shit am I being abused like I don't know, you know, we need to talk about that. And so I think it's really important and it's stories like yours and situations where you share your personal experiences that are going to identify with others in this space who are going to come forward at some point and be like, hey, this guest story really hit me. And now I've left this person because I realized that I'm not alone. Yeah, I think that's like the most important part of all of it. Like, I don't feel like I would want to share if I didn't think that it was going to, like, impact other people, so. Yeah. It definitely, it definitely will. And I'm excited to send you the screenshots. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's, like, one of my favorite parts, honestly. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. Thanks for being here. Thanks for, yeah. Thanks for bearing with me while I'm sick with COVID. Um, oh, it's okay. I'm sorry that you're sick. No, it's fine. It happens. It's life. Um, yeah, I'm grateful for you coming into this space. And yeah, if if those who are listening feel impacted by this guest's story, I'd love for you to just reach out. Like, you can message me on Instagram on maya.who underscore and let me know what you think. Um you can write a review on um, 
Apple podcast, or you can rate both Apple podcast and Spotify that helps others to, um, to come across the podcast and also just see the testimonies of others. Um, those ratings are actually really important and help, um, this podcast be spread more and more, um, which creates more advocacy, more awareness. Um, so yeah, thank you for being here, you guys. I love you guys and, um, tune in next Thursday for the next episode. Thanks guys.